0: Welcome to episode one of the ACID Research to Practice podcast. We are kicking off this season with an exclusive look into the ACID 2019 conference. This year's conference was held on the country of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains at the Hilton in Adelaide Central Business District. We thank Mickey Kumatpi Marucha O'Brien, a descendant of the Ghana and Narungga peoples, for welcoming us to country on that day. As usual, our field producer Sophia Tipping was reporting on the ground. She interviewed the keynote speakers to provide you with their key points at the conference. We also enlisted help from Purple Orange, a social profit organisation in South Australia, whose mission is to create a world where people with disability get a fair go at what life has to offer. A big thank you to Gavin, April and Kat from Purple Orange who helped get Fox Pops from Delegates. We got lots of interviews at the conference, more than we could fit in one episode, so we're hoping to collaborate with Purple Orange to make some bonus episodes with more ACID 2019 content. Stay tuned for more in the coming months. This episode we will sum up what delegates took away from the 2019 conference under a few themes and give you a taste of what the keynotes had to say to these topics. You can find information and slides about all the presentations from the 2019 conference through the links in the show notes. One of the recurrent themes was the importance of really listening to what people with intellectual disability have to say. Kim reflected on this point and the implications for her.
1: I think just, I really enjoy going to presentations um, where people with disabilities are sharing their insights because I think, you know, it's good as someone working with them to just stop and take time and listen rather than jumping in and doing what we think. You know, is best for the person. Just the importance of me taking that time and being available to people to share their stories before I, you know, start providing the support I provide.
0: Building on that theme was the voice of self-advocates and the importance of speaking up. Sophia interviewed several self-advocates from the South Australian Council for Intellectual Disability and Our Voice, who were keynotes at the conference. Here is an extract.
1: Okay. I'm here on day one of the conference with the group of keynote speakers for Friday's keynote. Ian, I'm going to come over to you. You're with Our Voice. Um, can you can you um, tell me about what Our Voice do? after people let you know, disability talk about their issues
2: and all that. Our Voice is a Yeah, intellectual learning disabilities, that's
1: what our voice does. Great, great stuff. Important work. Now, Chris, you're with SASED. Yes. Can you tell me about SASED?
3: What we do, we we are inclusion workers and we make easy material English. Yep. And we go to conferences and we run workshops.
1: Beautiful. So, now we're going to meet all the keynote speakers... And I might start with... My name is Rebecca and, and I work as an inclusion worker at SASID. Great. So, tell me, Rebecca, you're presenting on Friday. What difference has Speaking Up made in your life?
4: Speaking Up has been, been really, really important to me. Um, it's been both personal matters this year and, and I've been helping um, other people to speak up too.
5: Not just me, but one of the states as well. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. My name is Tiffany. My role is with Our Voice, it's a committee member and a board member. And I'm also going to be emceeing on Friday. Speaking up for me has opened up many doors, as in um, living independently and also helping people with disabilities in politics.
2: My name's Ian. Can say hear that I'm, I'm one of the board members from the conference in Adelaide here. Okay. I'm on the Sasset Committee. Began up my life, make people listen to me. Because I've got a lot, a lot of people at this conference. I know me over the years. I've been to that many conferences. I've got friends all around Australia and New Zealand.
1: So we've heard from you before, Gavin, but tell us who you are. Uh, I, I work for Chacha
6: and I'm a member of the Air force SA and on, on the board.
1: And tell me, what difference has Speaking Up made in your life?
6: It uh, gave me something to believe in and and, and, and helped me to empower empower myself and hopefully that would um, but when I talk to the other people that um, the, the knowledge I've been getting for the last... Uh, since I've been a voice and passed on to that to the other people.
4: My name is Libby Crawford, and
1: I'm i i A. Great, thank you for talking to me, Libby. Tell me, what difference has speaking up made in your life?
4: The. In my important because it might be a inside. It's really important to me. Yeah, very important. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps uh, take tell people what it about.
1: Yeah, okay. So on Friday you're going to tell people more about that, aren't yes. you? Yeah, great. We'll look forward to hearing about Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm an Inclusion Worker for SASID. What difference has Speaking Up made in your life? Speaking Up makes me feel confident in myself. I can speak up to my family and at work. And we're back to Chris, who we've also heard from earlier. Chris, do you want to tell us what your role is?
3: I am an Inclusion Worker at SASID.
1: And what difference has Speaking Up made in your life?
3: I made a good choice. Yeah? about speaking up to move out of the group home.
1: Oh, great. So, um, speaking up meant you get to make a choice and see it happen. Yes. Excellent stuff. Yeah! Yeah! Woo! Thank you to the Our Voice and
0: SAS's team. Well Woo,
1: that was excellent. Well
0: Being heard was not only at an individual level, but at the big decision-making levels such as being on boards. Donna and Paul from Queensland speak out.
7: I'd just like to say that I think ACID is starting to change its way because when I was around in the really early days as all academics and it's nice to see a Queenslander with Paul on the board but if it hadn't been for me jumping up and down about a person with an intellectual disability for 30 years, we would never have got there but it's only taken us um, 26 years to get there, so we've done it. <laughs> well,
2: the thing is is that we need people to keep jumping up and down and getting people like me and Donna on the board or different boards, you know, and if that happens in the long term, good. If it doesn't, well then, you know, at least we've made some kind of change, so... <laughs> yes, yes. Um, if... More people were like us than I think we'd show them what ACID could do, you know, like, yeah, yeah.
0: Not only being heard at a board level, but at national and international decision-making levels, such as the United Nations. Judy Hewitt wears a number of hats. She is a member of the National Disability Insurance Agency's Independent Advisory Council and also Speak Out Tasmania. Recently, she attended a United Nations meeting as part of the Australian Civil Society delegation.
4: I guess um, we're presenting this afternoon um, about our trip to Geneva. We've just come back recently. and we presented on the United Nations Committee on the Rights of People with Disabilities. So we'll be presenting about that this afternoon. Um, So I guess that's what's brought (coughs) brought me here, but also um, getting, um, I guess, getting to learn and meet new people. I guess there was a, there've been a lot of things over the last couple of days that um, like I went and listened to Sue and Jim um, yesterday afternoon and yesterday morning, and they were excellent. Just um, talking about self advocacy and how it can work for people with disabilities and intellectual disabilities. Mainly
0: so. Daniel Barr came over from New Zealand and along with many other delegates was particularly struck by one of the keynote addresses on the topic of being heard and he wasn't alone in enjoying this keynote.
8: Why did I come to the conference this year? It's my first time to come to an ACID conference and I'm from New Zealand so I've heard uh, quite a few things about Um, what sort of learnings people have picked up in the past. So I was quite keen to um, come along and see for myself and check it out.
1: And what has been the highlight of your morning so far?
8: We had the presentation around the campaign from the CID, was it? I think that was uh, around the hospitals and some of the uh, struggles people face and that was particularly um, interesting to me because I'm working in a transformation area in in New Zealand and I could see some real gains to be had and some work that could be done there.
6: Well, in fact, I thought the opening address by um, the New South Wales Council for Intellectual Disability where they talked about that wonderful campaign they ran mm-hmm. and the, you know, involvement of self-advocates as a central part of that and a great success to them yeah. and, a great pro- and a great campaign.
9: Look, I really enjoyed hearing from Shu Chan from Council for Intellectual Disability and Jim Simpson and I was really impressed with how progressive their campaigning has become. And as Jim said, they're, they're always learning and always working out ways to do things, which is great. Great to see them using social media more, but really, really great to see them having people with intellectual disability doing the campaigning, going to meet um, politicians, senior politicians, doing all of that work. And um, it really shows in the results of stuff that what they've done. So that's um, fantastic work.
0: Sophia caught up with the keynote speakers many were raving about.
1: I'm here with Jim Simpson and Shu Chan from New South Wales Council for Intellectual Disability. Shu and Jim, could you
10: tell the listeners what your opening line was? Uh, My opening line is, my my name is Shu, I'm from um, Hong Kong. I come to Australia when I'm 13 years old. And um, now I'm a chairperson with Intellectual Disability Council of New South Wales. I've been in the sector for many years. Now I'm a part of the group. Jim, what was yours? Did you have an opening?
3: Yes, I mean, I've been involved with CID in different ways for, oh golly, uh, since about 1985. And what's really struck me about the way CID has changed is that we, back then, we were lobbying for people with intellectual disability. Now we've got... A whole lot of different ways. We advocate lobbying and a whole lot of other things and we're doing it with people with intellectual disability.
1: big shift and a great shift, yeah. (laughs) Can you tell the listeners what your keynote was about?
3: Sure. Look, we talked about the different ways that we go about systemic advocacy at CID, um, the central role people with intellectual disability have, the way we run campaigns like the Our Health Counts campaign, which uh, has led to some quite big changes in what the federal government's willing to do about the health of people with intellectual disability. And that's things like uh, going to see local members of parliament, um, getting lots of public support, getting lots of allies in our campaign and getting a message across that people in the community really uh, identify with. Um, and also that uh, people in government identify with, so that they're willing to do something about it.
10: I'm the face of CID Health Campaign. I've been to see Tanya. She's a politician that I've been, again, to talk to about how intellectual disability from non-English speaking background, how we live day by day. Um, how I go school. I've been taught about when I go school. I feel hard because I don't know how to read and write very well.
3: Just adding to what she said. I mean, when we went to see Tanya Plibersek, it was just a really good example of the the power that it has in meetings with politicians for a person with intellectual disability to be at the centre of the meeting. And you know, usually when we see politicians, a person with intellectual disability speaks first and that's just the right thing to do because that's the people whose lives we're there about but also the powerful impact that that has on politicians is really uh, really starts a meeting off well and gets the politicians thinking yes this is an important issue we have to do something about
10: I think that for people with intellectual disability they need to speak up they need to be empowered themselves not to be say, I always I can try my best to do the best at work or in in other places as in general to be not like people to be pushed you down and be speak up. If you see something wrong at work, just talk to my supervisor and talk to just general to ask for help. If not understand, just speak up. So that way for us will be more independent, more to be assertive. It's a big work that how you can do work yourself to be not say, oh, I can't do it, always not give up, just try, give it a go. That is the best key work to be try again and again mm. and to be have some new skill like go to a conference, I can speak up.
3: I think everyone can be an activist. I think that's the key thing. Uh, you know, what we found with the Our Health Counts campaign is... You know, we try really tried to encourage people around Australia to go and see their local MPs, their local um, their local election candidates to support our health campaign um, to say you know we want your party to commit to really acting on on addressing those health inequalities uh, and that's really powerful when you've got uh, if there's a campaign that a, an advocacy organisation is running that we, we agree with, we can get involved with that campaign and we can, uh, we can be part of, the, uh, part of what really makes politicians sit up and take notice.
0: Storytelling is one of the means of being heard. Scott Avery of the First Peoples Disability Network, another one of the keynotes at the conference, spoke about his research in the area.
1: I'm here with Scott Avery of the First Peoples Disability Network. Scott, tell me a bit about yourself.
2: I
11: do community-based research, so essentially what that means is I'm I'm with a a non-government Aboriginal disabled people's organisation, so that means that... All of our organisation are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with some experience of disability so we're not government or we're not a university, we're a people's organisation and a disabled people's organisation so when I say I'm a community-based researcher what I do is essentially get people's stories, get their um, of experiences and I just say tell us your story and then what I do is take those stories and bring it to places like this conference. I'm an Aboriginal person. I'm also profoundly deaf, by the way, So, um, and uh, from the Warramai. So first thing I'll do is welcome you in my native language of Gatang. We talk about voice and we talk about truth-telling, and people th- see that in, in you know, he might who people who uh, have an interest in Aboriginal affairs might hear this language mm. around voice, treaty, truth. So I'll be talking a lot about what that means, what does truth-telling really mean if you're an Aboriginal person and have disability. Yeah. It, it's profiling and platforming the voices of Aboriginal people with mm. disability. That's what, that's what drives this presentation. So mm. it's not actually me speaking, it's their voices. Um, and they've given me permission to tell those stories here. But then he's saying, you know, I think we need to hear those stories as a pathway to healing. Um, and the truth-telling is that pathway,
4: mm-hmm.
11: and, it, and the, the, we're, we're really encouraging people to think about what does inclusion really mean, mm. and it's not a discretion, it's not a discretionary part of their life, you know, really, people with this skin in the game, it is, it is their life, it's not something they can just discard. I think some of the stories that I tell will be quite confronting to people. So essentially what I'm inviting people to be doing is to really open their mind and, and critically reflect on on how they're an advocate for inclusion in their daily life. Um, so we really wanted to challenge people because what I'm essentially looking at is I think people ha- have... Um, may have perceptions about what is happening out there in Mm. in society for Aboriginal people with disability. And we're really talking about marginalised groups within marginalised populations. And for many people, they will not have heard these stories before. That's what the invitation is, to really challenge their own attitudes. And I think if people can go, how can I be more inclusive in an authentic way in my life and build it into their life then I think some of the things that we think about, like policies and strategies, they will come. They will come naturally because you're actually paying respect to people with disability who are currently isolated from life in the first place. I've recently published a book on this, which is called Cultures Inclusion, uh, and it contains a lot of statistical data, but a lot of the personal stories of people's experience of disability. It's become a resource and it's available if you go on to our website at fpdn.org.au. So that's the First People's Disability Network. We want it to be what we call the Thinking Person's Coffee Table Book. So it's written for anyone that can engage with and they can leave it uh, to facilitate conversations about, I think, what's an untold story in this Australian society.
0: There's a link to cultural inclusion in the show notes. We asked people why they came to the conference and connecting with the community of people involved in intellectual disability was a recurrent theme. Here are some of the delegates' comments on Connecting.
9: I am here to, as always, connect with the great community that is the ACID people and to see what research people are doing and see what I can learn and how we can all work together to um, help make sure that people with intellectual disability have a good life. That's it. That's why we're all here, I hope. All of it,
12: all of it, you know, is the, the people around that you can talk to, you know, Around the, the social activities, the the um, people in general, and everything what's uh, around you is the highlight. So yeah,
10: just meet, getting to meet people and all different different people from different states
7: and different countries. People have travelled near and far, and from UK or any anywhere. What about um, in the
1: conference? What's been your highlight? The chill out room. What's in the chill-out room that's
0: awesome? Gabes. Gabes. Cool. The conference chill-out room was a key space for connection and making friends. What have been
6: the highlight of this conference so far?
9: It's been fantastic to hear some of the keynote speakers um, to hear their ideas on big concepts such as models of participation and um, behaviour and how we can support individuals to have better participation, better inclusion.
0: The Welcome to Country set a scene of intercultural knowledge exchange and listening. I think
4: the Welcome to Country was fantastic because if, if you saw that was f- fabulous and I think he, re- he really got the message across to be, um, to be more inclusive in the work that we all do, no matter what area that we're working at, so yeah.
0: Miki Kumapi Marucha O'Brien invited all delegates to take a leaf of the branch he was wearing. He then asked the delegates to exchange leaves, either in the session or later at some point in the conference. Another popular keynote challenged the delegates to think critically about the idea of inclusion.
1: Look, I was particularly interested just then in in the keynote speaker from the US, Um, so my background's definitely in policy research um, and anthropology and sociology, so I was a bit interested in, in what she had to say about social inclusion.
0: Here's a little more about this keynote from Stacy Clifford-Simplican, being interviewed by Sophia Tipping.
1: I'm sitting with Stacy Clifford-Simplican, who's joined us from Vanderbilt University in the US. And she's a senior lecturer in women's and gender studies. Hello,
7: Stacey. Hi, Sophia. My talk aimed to raise questions about how we think about social inclusion. And I'm not an applied researcher, so I wanted to manage expectations that I don't do research in which I measure a group of people's level of community participation, but instead I'm a kind of person that raises questions like what is inclusion? Why do we value inclusion? And are we sure that our thinking about inclusion is really lining up well with our values? Mm -hmm. The Special Olympics has a new um, awareness campaign called The Revolution is Inclusion. And so my aim was to say, here is what I have written and thought about in terms of social inclusion. Here's my critique. And now I want to apply that critique to this new ad campaign called The Revolution is Inclusion. I think if I were to capture the argument, it would be that the campaign of the revolution is inclusion is presenting us with a very homogenous and unified and positive idea of what inclusion looks like. And the problem with that is that it fails to represent the diversity of the kinds of inclusive experiences that people are having. And it also... Although it's positive, it continues to perpetuate stereotypes about people with intellectual disabilities that I see as a real hindrance uh, to making um, broader societal progress. One of my key points at the end was that inclusion is a useful concept as long as it remains open-ended and ambiguous, right? And to see that open-endedness as a real opportunity rather than a hindrance even if they don't perhaps like the, the definition and approach of inclusion that I offered, I hope that even if they're having a conversation about inclusion and someone's giving them a very kind of um, homogenous account, they can say, you know, I, thank you, I appreciate that, but we can think about inclusion differently too. So that's what I hope they walk away and take away. People noted an increase in the presentations
0: and research conducted and presented with people with an intellectual disability at the ACID conference this year.
12: It's hard to say because I think it's been probably one of the best conferences I've been to in years. It's been incredible. The energy, the quality of the research has been amazing. Uh, there's been a really good way of showing that it is research to practice. And I think there's been a wonderful representation of people with, with lived experience, which is something that's missing most of the time.
0: Many delegates spoke about issues of health and safety of people with intellectual disability. Two of the keynotes, touched on positive behavioural support. Here's Nick Gore from the UK.
8: So my name's Nick. I'm a clinical psychologist by background and also a a researcher and a senior lecturer at at Tizard Centre. I've been there about 12 years now. And um, a lot of the time I've also had an additional post, either working in the health service or in in education, things like that. So um, some sort of research experience and also some practical experience. The actual keynote is about something called positive behavioural support, so it's a framework for supporting people um, with intellectual disabilities um, at risk of behavioural that challenges, that's, that's really what that is. So some of the things I reflect on early on in the keynote um, is this sort of basic human experience that, that everyone, I guess, from time to time will experience some kind of period of emotional or, or behavioural distress, it's a, a kind of level of being human really. And also this uh, phenomena that the well-being and the behavior of all of us is is kind of constantly influenced by that of of other people. So that's where I start. And then I start to unpack what that might look like in the context of behavior that challenges um, and thinking about the different impacts that that kind of behavior has and suggest that PBS, to be effective as a framework, needs to think about the life quality and the behavior of all people whether that's people with disabilities, caregivers or, or other people and that's, that's kind of how we get started. I think PBS will always need to be evolved and um, sort of developed in different ways to fit, to fit the local context but hopefully there's something there that can, can help. I think this driving theme of, of really emphasising stakeholder collaboration. So working with families, working with um, staff, working with people with disabilities directly. So I kind of talk about that. And then I guess my sort of grand finale, if, if you can call it that, <laughs> is, to, is, is, is really a kind of call for more partnership working, sort of building yeah. on that theme and, and be that at a sort of national level. That seems to have worked really well for us so far. But also, I guess, encouraging and in, in, in showing an openness for that kind of partnership working at an international level level right and the idea of continuing to build this kind of pbs community and, and sort of share and learn from one another in that, in that regard feel free to drop me an email i will get back to you at some point if, <laughs> if not immediately um, but really really keen always to connect with people hear from people always open to sort of discussing ideas and, and doing anything i can to help so yeah please get in touch
1: great it's that connection and partnership that you're promoting Do you're
0: doing it too oh for sure yeah absolutely <laughs> Jennifer Clegg, another keynote from the UK, drew our attention to the limits of positive behaviour support in some circumstances, particularly for those experiencing grief and trauma. Sophia spoke to her at the conference. I'm sitting
1: down with Dr Jennifer Clegg, who is based at the University of Nottingham in the UK. She's also been a visiting professor at La Trobe University here in Australia. She's very kindly talking to me about her keynote address at this year's conference. Jennifer, tell me, what was the opening line of your keynote?
13: Um, I opened by reviewing some of the ways trauma-informed care is discussed in intellectual disabilities and problematising that. Um, I think it's um, been shared in a way that's too simple and has missed some of the detail. I was describing what trauma-informed care broadly in adult mental health and child health is talking about tackling some really profound difficulties and the sorts of qualities and support staff need to be able to take that work on. The UK, like Australia, uh, has become very dominated by positive behaviour support and I am concerned that um, that one idea can't possibly stretch across all the range of need that I see and I'm a bit concerned that we tend to want to draw everything into positive baby support rather than allow um, our understanding about trauma and disordered attachment um, just to grow and uh, be protected on its own. Your emotional connection with people may be more important than what you do with them.
1: That is a short but powerful point, isn't it? Following on from that, is there a call to action? I mean, that is kind of a call to action, isn't it? That
13: is a call to action. <laughs> and obviously the, the Australia has a Royal Commission which is looking at violence, abuse and trauma uh, experienced by people with IDs. And there is an opportunity to question the dominance of PBS and allow some other things, some space to grow. And what's been interesting at the end, a couple of people came up who are, of course, working in these ways. But, you know, always when there is an alternative, there will be some people who are who are developing it, um, but they feel very lonely. Some people say these uh, you know, ideas about attachment and trauma don't gain traction. People want simple ideas, mm-hmm. but these traumas are complicated. And I I guess I feel in the room there are some people with very stretched resources who just think, I can't do that. Um, And I also have to remember my experiences with very damaged people, it's a very small proportion. Yeah. So there are plenty of people with IDs for whom we don't have to make Mm -hmm. it more difficult than it
0: needs to be. Peter, a delegate and presenter, drew our attention to Feeling Safe in Disability Services and a report that the Victorian Disability Commissioner had put together about how this is done.
14: I came to this conference from Melbourne be, primarily because I'm doing a... I have completed a research project with the Disability Commissioner on making services safer and more respectful and I'm here to report on the findings. The disability world is very big and diverse but it's just so nice having the (coughs) flock submitted that I'm part of. A big community and I am recognised as part of this community and I feel safe. Tiffany
0: highlighted the learning around supporting people's safety and well-being through the work we do beyond the conference.
5: I've learnt that um, the disability um, sector, especially in... um, in mental health is um, coming in big ways in understanding people with disabilities, especially intellectual disabilities. And I can use this information for my counselling studies in fervour, further, in further my studies in social work and everything else that I do in advocacy.
0: Here's more from Jim and Shu. About health access for people with an intellectual disability.
10: For myself, the health system. I would like to know that um, have more doctors and nurses regarding is cow background. I'm from I'm from I'm from non English speaking background that from Hong Kong. Um, the health system that I feel when I since I come to Australia, the health is because of my language barrier and the way that how I need to talk to doctor with which is back in my country, I speak my mother tongue. So I would like the nurses and the doctors to explain clear for me if I'm admitted to a hospital or I go to the doctor, they need to write in simple English to make me understand what is the prescription and make my health better.
3: We need to work with people like researchers, um, with professionals, They've all got things to contribute to advocacy, and uh, just to use health as an example, the really strong research base we now have about the health inequalities that face people with intellectual disability. Uh, you know, 38% potentially avoidable deaths for people with intellectual disability in New South Wales, and 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 uh, perhaps worse in some other states like Queensland. Um, you know, putting all of us together we can really make change happen, make the world a better place for people with intellectual disability.
0: At the beginning of the conference, our said President, Laura Hogan, set a challenge for delegates. I think
1: our conference themes always set a challenge for our delegates and I like people to think about what that challenge is and so we have a theme that is around a good life and journey into a good life for people with intellectual disabilities and so I ask the delegates to think about what's happening in our sector at the moment and we have in both Australia and Aotearoa and New Zealand some major changes that are happening in the way that disability services are funded. And So I ask people to, to think about those things that are really topical in our sector at the moment and this challenge that they've been set and how, as they journey across the conference, they're going to you know, step up and take some responsibility for how collectively we get to that good life for people with intellectual disability.
0: The delegates heard this call to action. This is what they said they were going to do when they left the conference. Many travelled from interstate and overseas to learn and take things back to their community.
6: Uh, This is Gavin doing a a recording for ACID. Um, Can you just give me, uh, want to give you your first name? Chris. Okay, the first question why did you come to ACID 2019 Conference? Because I'm part of an organisation called People First and they um, had asked me if I wanted to come. Uh, Which state have I come from? New Zealand. You're a long way from home. That's good. Um, What have been the highlight of the conference so far?
4: The keynotes.
6: Okay. What have you learnt that you will use in your work, study or life? Taking the information back to People New Zealand.
1: It's really about what can we do that other states have done ahead of us. What can we take back to suggest to our organisation, our CEO, about what we can implement that's new and diverse and is going to add value to what we do in working with people with disability.
2: I think the highlight for me would have been the first keynote speaker yesterday around New South Wales CID having people on their... Or people with with intellectual dis- disabilities on their board, or or m- more people, which I think I'm going to bring back to our committee in Brisbane and see what they say. Might mean a bit of a constitutional change, I think, with our rules and stuff. But, yep, but
1: it's worth we'll doing. It is. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, so the importance of like me taking that time and being available to people to share their stories before I you know start providing the support I provide so just yeah taking that little bit extra time to sit with people use their preferred communication method to really hear from them
12: before I jump in and start working. It's just been so inspiring. I've got tons of notes to go home and and pass on to the team and get us moving. What in particular do you think has been uh, most inspiring? Particularly around uh, positive behaviour support because that's what we work a lot with and I think that's one of the issues that is being impacted really by the NDIS. I'm from New South Wales. Well, we have lost ADAC services under which sat the behaviour support teams that had the specialist knowledge. And now it's been privatised and, you know, behaviours of concern are causing people to be excluded from service providers because it's easier to take an easy client. So any kind of way that we can support our clients through better positive behaviour support so that they can access our services, I think, is, is a huge step forward.
4: To be patient, especially with people that have intellectual disabilities... Um, because you've actually got to see the person
7: first, not the disability. I'm hoping if I go back to Queensland and talk to some of our um, educators at the universities that we know that we might have a research for people with intellectual disabilities being involved in research.
6: What am I going to take away? Um, hmm, That's that's quite a good question. Uh, I think... Obviously, I think a renewed commitment to uh, the engagement of self-advocates in this whole process of uh, change. Uh, I think that really
1: that's my central takeaway.
0: The Acid ATRO New Zealand team are busy planning for the 2020 conference next year. The pressure is on after such a successful conference in Adelaide in 2019. So next
1: year, they've got big shoes to fill by the sounds of it. In Aotearoa New
12: Zealand.
10: Yes, New Zealand next year. Yes, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. My, new, my first conference I spoke at was in New Zealand in 2012. Oh, okay,
1: so you'll be at the next one?
10: Yes, I'll be at the next one. I'm really looking forward to that. I att- always attend every single conference.
0: That's a wrap for the 2019 ACID Conference podcast episode. You get access to the programme as well as the slides of many of the conference keynotes and presentations via the link in the show notes. We've also linked you to some more information on the keynotes and research projects mentioned in this episode. This episode was produced by Sophia Tipping, Buffy Gorilla and Hilary Johnson. A big thank you to everyone who made the conference and this episode possible. Especially the team at Purple Orange, Gavin, April and Kat, helped get box pops from the delegates. Also to Carrie and Allison who did a lot of behind-the-scenes work to make this happen. Look out for some collaborations between the Acid Podcast team and Purple Orange. Thank you to the Acid Board, Local Conference Organising Committee, the team at Conference Design. And the many conference sponsors. And an extra special thank you to all the speakers and delegates who shared their thoughts with us. You can subscribe to the Acid Research to Practice podcast via iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you find good podcasts. Keep up to date with all things acid on Twitter via the handle at acid underscore LTD or on Facebook via at acid.asn.au. Or better still, become a member and enjoy access to a number of publications and benefits. Just go to our website acid.asn.au.